Thanks. <laughs> oh, man. Merry Christmas. Hey, before we get started here, uh, I just want to thank you guys so much for letting me be back again. It has been a pleasure, and feel free. Uh, once again, yes, I do have a table back there. Uh, one of the things that you will see on this table is uh, a Hope shirt, because every time I go into a school or anywhere like that, I'm always there to give hope. So feel free to check the shirt out there. Somebody bought a, oh, snap. And then you, you can stand up. You can, like, rep that. There's another shirt on there called Just Keep, Just Keep Dancing. Because I firmly believe that if you are having a bad day, all you have to do is start dancing, and your day is going to get better. So some of you might be sitting there, and you're like, oh, you don't look that good to have on a T-shirt, so you don't have to buy that shirt. But also, you will see back there, there is also a card. Uh, it's called Stand for Truth. This is a part of the ministry that I am with that goes around the schools and everything because I can't do this without other people's support. And so feel free, take a look at it as well. Doesn't matter what you can give, just trying to raise monthly support, whether that's $10, $20, whatever it may be. I know maybe you want to give $600. You can do that as well. But feel free to check that out too. Boom. Okay. We got stuff that we got to do today. And today is all about the miracle of the manger. And the great thing about the miracle of the manger is it is for everyone. Turn to the person next to you and let them know it's for everyone. It's for everyone. And with that being said, John, our first John 3.16 says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Okay, it all comes down to this. If you love Jesus, then you have to sacrifice like Jesus did. If you love Jesus, then you got to love like Jesus, and that means you've got to sacrifice. So turn to the person behind you and let them know you got to sacrifice. And there are three areas that we are called to sacrifice in. Number one, you've got to learn to give up your stuff. you got to give up your stuff. Uh, I don't want that. But you got to give up your stuff. Case in point, I will never forget it. We were um, at this assembly, and I had my friend Jeff, and we're talking at this assembly, and after the assembly was done and over, ooh, water. You know what? I will take that. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't either. So we're at this assembly, and after the school assembly got done and over with, next thing we know, somebody came up to my friend Jeff, and this kid had scars all over his arm, up and down his arms. And as he came over to my friend Jeff, he goes, hey, what's with the scars? And he goes, I, I don't want to talk about that right now. But he goes, um, a couple years ago, when I was uh, 13 years old, I got addicted to heroin. And he goes, I used it every single day. And he goes, my, my house, he goes, uh, we, we lived in a trailer. And he goes, it, it wasn't one of those nice, pretty trailers. It, it was actually a trailer that, that didn't have uh, windows to it. And he was like, there are holes in the ceiling. 
And so when it rained, it was actually better to sleep outside than it was to sleep in our trailer. And he goes, there are a couple days where I would just go without food, and the only food I would get would be going to school. And he goes, my life, I thought I was done, and I didn't think life was going to get any better. This kid starts to ball in the midst of his story. Next thing you know, this other kid comes over to him, and he puts an arm around him, and then this kid looked up through his tears, and he goes, but him, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here. He goes, see, my friend, he took me in. He convinced his parents to let me stay at his house. He opened up his closet and said, you can have everything in my closet that you need. My friend, he's paid for my lunch at school every single day since then. He goes, I don't do heroin no more because of what my friend has sacrificed for me. And that kid, he squeezed him tight, and he goes, I would do it all over again for you. Love means sacrificing your stuff. We can say that we love people, but unless you sacrifice, that's not love. Because obviously Jesus had the ultimate in sacrifice. So number one, we have to make sure we are sacrificing our stuff. Turn to the person next to you and let them know you got to sacrifice your stuff. Your socks? <laughs> you, don't sacrifice funky socks. That would be gross. First John 3.16 says again, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. All right. Next thing you have to do in order to sacrifice like Jesus has sacrificed is you have to sacrifice your time. All right. Case in point, uh, last year, I, if you guys were here last year, I might have told the story about how I work with this uh, organization called Free International that fights human trafficking here in the United States. A lot of people don't know, but human trafficking is a big, big problem in our country. And they estimate that in our country, there are over 3 million slaves. And out of that 3 million slaves, over 300,000 of them are, are all under the age of 17 years old. 300,000. So what Free does is they go out and they try to find those that are under the age of 17 years old and rescue them out of human trafficking. Now, you guys have to understand, for me, I am a part, like, Free has different, like, branches to it. There is the find and rescue branch of it. And then also there is the education and prevention side of Free International. So for me, I am not a part of the find and rescue. The find and rescue are guys, like, I'll never forget, there's this one guy. His name is John, and he's, like, legit. He used to be a U.S., like, Navy SEAL. He's got this huge knife. Every time he talks and tells a story, it always ends up with somebody dying. I'm like, whoa, that guy is for real. 
That is not me. I am a skinny black man. I am not going to go out and cut anybody. I might get cut, but I'm not going out there to cut anybody. So I stay on the uh, education and prevention side of it. So what that means is this. We will go into schools and we'll do uh, school assemblies based around educa educating people on human trafficking. And so when they do that, we'll go there and we'll work with the FBI and we'll figure out what students may be missing in their neighborhood. And we'll show those pictures and say, hey, students, if you see any of these people, make sure that you give a phone call so somebody can come and, and help get them out. That's the side that I'm a part of. So there was one day, uh, a couple years ago, I was a youth pastor about three, four years ago. I was a youth pastor for six, seven years. And so this was about the transition time where I was going to get out of being a youth pastor and do this full time. And so one day, it's right before I'm about to give a Wednesday message, right? And I'm sitting there, and oh, let me back up for a second. Uh, this was a couple days before then. I am chilling out at my house, and all of a sudden, I get this Facebook message. And I open it up, and it's from this girl, Hillary. Now, Hillary, you have to understand, she went to high school with me. Now, I'm not going to tell you how long ago I went to high school, but it was a long, long time ago. And so for me, 18 years ago, if you really wanted to know. So for me, uh, I haven't seen Hillary in like years. And so she gives me a Facebook message. And like always, every Facebook message starts off with, hey. And I'm like, hey. And she goes, uh, Terrence, are you still a part of that organization that fights human trafficking? And I go, yeah, I am. And she goes, hey, can you help me? I'm ready to be done with this life. I need to get out. See, Hillary, ever since high school, had been trafficked, and she had been a prostitute. And when she messaged me, for her, she was just like, I need help, and I need your help to do this. And I'm like, oh, Okay, Hillary, what, this is what I'll do. I'll get you in touch with the people that I work with, and then they'll, they'll talk to you, and they'll get you to a safe house. Everything will be okay. So I asked her for her phone number. I gave it to the people that do the whole find and rescue part of it, and I'm like, boom, my job is done. I've done what I needed to do to help Hillary. Well, come Wednesday night, I'm about to get up to preach a message. All of a sudden, I get a text message on my phone. And it's from my friend that works in the find and rescue part of Free International. And he goes, Terrence, what are you doing right now? I'm like, uh, I'm about to preach a message. He goes, hey, we've been talking to Hillary. And come to find out, she is a part um, of the Mexican mafia in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And she goes, she's been trafficked through them for years. And this is the only time for her to get out because her pimp has left for a while, and this is the only window we have to come and rescue her. Nobody in your neighborhood is able to get to her except for you in that time frame. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, uh, bro, I can't do that right now. There are a couple reasons why I can't do that. Number one, I've got to preach a message today. Number two, 
I can't do that. And he goes, Terrence, you are the only one that is around that can help her. And so I'm like, uh, uh, okay, okay, what am I going to do? And so I, we had like an uh, uh, intern, and I was like, intern, okay, here are my notes. This is what you're going to do. You're going to go up there and preach a message. She's like, I'm a freshman. I was like, you can do this. God has called you, okay? You can do this. And so I was like, okay, what am I supposed to do? And I, at this point, I don't know what kind of scenario I'm getting into. So I'm like, okay, I can't do this by myself. So of course, I look around to see who is the biggest youth leader we have. And the biggest youth leader we had, his name was Mike Lee. Mike Lee is like 6'5", beard, built guy. I was like, Mike Lee, I need you to go help rescue somebody. And sure enough, all he said was, let's do this. I was like, all right. And so we get in the truck, and then my friend, he calls on the phone, and he goes, okay, this is what you're going to do. You're going to drive into Minneapolis, and then when you get to a certain part, give me a phone call. And I said, okay. So we drive through Minneapolis. Now, you guys have to understand, I lived in Minnesota for like 30 plus years, okay? I know Minnesota. I know Minneapolis. I have grown up around there. But then all of a sudden, we drove into a part where I was like, mm, I don't know this neighborhood. This is weird. This is different. And so we got to the part where my friend told us to stop. I gave him a call, and he goes, okay, Terrence, here's the deal. She is in this apartment building down the street. This is what I need you to do. I need you to slowly drive to this apartment building and stop at the front door. And I go, okay, cool. And he goes, but here's the deal. He goes, if there is a green van out front, you cannot stop. You just keep going. I was like, a green van? He goes, a green van. I was like, who's in the green van? And he goes, there are lookouts all around this part of the city. And if they see you and if they don't know you, there's a possibility that you can get shot. I was like, ha, ha, ha. He goes, no, I'm serious. I was like, oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me? I was like, you put me in this scenario? I was like, should I have a gun? He goes, you probably should. And I go, Mike, do you got a gun? He goes, of course I do. I was like, oh, my gosh. What kind of situation did I get myself into? And so we start driving. And, of course, there was a green van just a couple, like a block away. And I go, hey, man, the green van is there. And he goes, is there somebody in the car? And I looked, and I was like, I don't think so. And he goes, okay, cool. And so we rolled up in front of this apartment building, and we stopped. Now, you have to understand, this was an apartment building like I have never seen before in my life. This apartment building, every single window had bars on it, and instead of like the nice doors with some windows, there was just a steel door. That's it. And so my friend, he goes, okay, now stop. What I want you to do is open, open up the, your back car door to, uh, on the passenger side. And we open it up, and he's like, okay, there's going to be a moment where she knows nobody is watching. And so when there's that moment happens, she's just going to run out there and run into your car. I was like, okay, I'm ready. And so I'm sitting there. I'm waiting for this moment. And he goes, oh, yeah, make sure nobody's coming up behind you because that's how they usually get people. I'm like, dude, you should have told me this like two minutes ago. So I'm like looking the whole time. I'm looking back. Mike is sitting there. He's got his gun in his lap. I'm like, okay, Mike, usually I'm not all for like bringing guns out in the open, but please make sure you got your hand on that thing. And so 
I'm sitting there, and then all of a sudden, the door flings open, and this old lady comes out. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this old lady's going to kill us. And my friend goes, Terrence, it's just an old lady. Calm down. Calm down. I was like, I'm like on edge at this point. Next thing you know, Hillary comes out. She's got like this whole uh, laundry basket filled with clothes. She throws it in the back of the car. She jumps in and she goes, go, 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 go. We close the door. We start speeding off down the road. As we're speeding down the road, uh, they give us the address to the place where we're supposed to drop her off and the people from the safe house will come and pick her up. Come to find out that place was in Iowa. We are in Minneapolis, Minnesota, so the drive down there was going to take about four-hour, five-hour drive. So Hillary and I had a lot of time to catch up. And as we are driving, I'm like, at first, I don't know what to say to Hillary. I haven't seen Hillary since high school. So I'm like trying to think of what, what am I supposed to say to Hillary? I don't know if I'm supposed to ask her about what's going on, what's going on in her life. And as we're driving, all of a sudden she goes, what do you want to know, Terrence? And I go, well, are you sure? I was like, I don't want to force you. We can just drive. And she goes, no, I, I totally want to talk. And so I start asking her questions, and she just starts talking about how when she was in uh, school, her parents used to abuse her. And then finally, when she was like 15 years old, she ran out of her house, and that's when she got involved with the Mexican mafia down there. And she explained to me all the different times that um, they beat her, and they got her addicted uh, to heroin because this is how they kept her going. And she goes, and the other day when I messaged you, she was like, I used to see all the things that you posted online. And she said, I also saw that you were a youth pastor, and I knew you were somebody that I can trust. Because she goes, see, there have been lots of times where people in authority, they seem to be good, but they're not good. And she goes, I knew you would be good, and you would help me. And so as she's talking to me, she, she is talking about her life, and I start to see the clothes in her and the back that she has in the laundry basket. They smelled terrible. There were stains all over them. And I was like, Hillary, I can't drop you off knowing that you have to wear these clothes. I go, let's go to Walmart. And we'll buy you whatever you need. And so we stopped at Walmart, bought her over $200 worth of clothes. And so we got out, and then I took her to get something to eat. Mike and I were just asking her questions. And the whole time, she's just saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. We get to the spot where we meet the people from the safe house. They take her, and Mike and I start to drive back home. All of a sudden, we're probably about 30 minutes down the road, we get a phone call from the people at the safe house. And they go, Terrence, Hillary just left. She said that she was tricked, and she doesn't want to be here no more. And she's gone, and we have no idea where she went to. And I'm sitting here, and I'm like, what just happened? Hillary was, was all about it. She, she called me. I didn't even try to convince her. She wanted to get out. What just happened? Now, you have to understand, in human trafficking, they say that it takes at least eight to nine different times for somebody to actually get out. Because they may say, yeah, I want to get out, but then something keeps on drawing them back in. And it takes about eight or nine times before they fully take it and they fully go and ask for help and take that help. And so I'm sitting there, and as I'm driving back, I'm like, 
man, was this, did I waste my time? What, what did I do? Did I say something to her? Well, it was about a year and a half later, I got a message from somebody, and they go, hey, do you remember Hillary? I go, yeah, I remember Hillary. And they go, well, she just wanted me to let you know that she is safe now and that she has been, for the past six months, she has been clean and she has been living at our safe house, and she just wants to thank you for the time that you put in. When we sacrifice, it takes time. And come to find out, it was six months after we tried to help Hillary. That's when she found somebody else, and that person helped her, and that's the help that she took. And it wasn't that my time was wasted. It just took eight to nine different times. See, for some of us in this room, you got to understand that when you give to the Lord, it doesn't matter how much you give. He will use every single minute that you give. And it may not, you may not see the results of what you're giving, but I promise you, it will be, a, there will be a return on it. The time that you will put in, God will use that time. That doesn't just go towards people. That goes towards your devotions. That goes towards uh, your time in church. Whatever time you're giving to the Lord, I promise you, he will use that. And for a lot of us in this room, it may seem like, hey, I have put so much time into this person, and then all of a sudden somebody else comes along, and now they're the coolest person. But I'm telling you this, it's all about time, and it doesn't matter who it is. God will eventually see that person through. We are not responsible for people's salvation and people's health. We're just responsible for loving people. So... We have to sacrifice like Jesus did. We got to sacrifice our stuff and we got to sacrifice our time. And last but not least, we have to sacrifice ourselves. See, uh, it reminds me of a girl and her name was Olivia. And Olivia, um, at the beginning of her high school year, uh, the way that she tells it is she used to get made fun of every single day day in school. She was a senior in high school this past year, and she talked about how people used to make fun of her. She used to sit alone. People would f throw food at her. Uh, people would write her notes, and she just said that it was miserable going to school, but she prayed every single day for God to be with her. In the middle of this last school year, she had a dream. And she said, God gave me this dream, and I saw it vividly. She goes, I, I saw where there is this, like, altar call. All the students from my school came up to the altar call, and they received Jesus. And she goes, when I woke up, I knew I needed to do something. I knew this is what the Lord was asking me to do, but I didn't know how it could be done. And then she goes, Terrence, and I remembered you talking about school assemblies. And so she goes, I, I, I want you to come and do a school assembly at my school. And when you do that, we're going to have a night rally. And at that night rally, you're supposed to give an altar call. And I was like, oh, okay. And she's like, how much is it going to be? And I was like, uh, Hillary, it's, it's going to be almost like $2,000 for us to pull this off. And she goes, no problem. I will get you the money. And sure enough, it was January when she approached and come May, she had raised over 
$2,000. What Olivia did was she got a job, and she would work it. As soon as she got done with school, she would go to her job, work until about 10 o'clock, go home, do her homework, and then go back to school the next day and do it all over again. And by the time the time came, she raised over $2,000. And so the day finally came for us to do this assembly. And I remember I was coming up, and it was about to start, and she goes, Terrence, I got to tell you, I'm so excited, but I'm more excited about the, the evening, the night rally, because all the students are going to come, and they're going to get saved. And at first, I'm like, okay, Hillary, you are putting a lot of pressure on me right now. I was like, but we're going to see what God has, and we're going to do what we need to do. And so, of course, we do the school assembly, and it goes off well. And she goes, now, I can't wait for the night rally. I can't wait for the night rally. Now, you have to understand, when we do a night rally, usually, like, there's only, like, a couple people there. And so we're usually ready for maybe 50, 75 people. And her school, there is, like, 600 people in her school. So I'm thinking, man, it would be really cool if maybe 50 people showed up, 65 people showed up. At that night rally with the school with 600 people, over 350 of her school came out to this night rally. And so it is filled. I'm sitting there. I'm like, Oh, my gosh, I can't believe it. God brought over half the students here. So we do the message, and at night, I stood up, and I gave the altar call. All these students started to come up, and I looked over to the side, and Olivia is bawling. And so we get done, give the altar call, have workers there, and they start praying with them. I walk over to Olivia. And Olivia, I, I go, wow, Olivia, your dream happened. And she is sitting here. She's still bawling. And she goes, Terrence, did you see him? Did you see him? I was like, yeah, a lot of the kids came up. And she goes, no, Terrence. There's one kid. She goes, he has made fun of me ever since the school year started. She was like, he's the one that had put notes in my locker. He's the one that has thrown food at me. And she goes, tonight he came up and accepted Jesus. She goes, wow, God is good. For Olivia, she had every single right to be mad. She had every single right to not like anybody at her school. She had every single right to just wait until her school year was done and over with and say, see you later. I'm done with this place. But the love of God was in Olivia, and she could not take her hate and let that be the end of her school year. And so she gave it to God. She gave him all her hurt and pain. And she said, God, I want you to do something with this. And because of that, people at her school got to know Jesus. See, when we sacrifice, you've got to sacrifice your hurt. You've got to sacrifice your pain. Because you have to know it's not about you. God loves you. God brought you here this week, but now it's time to think about other people. It's time to think about the people that are not here. It's time to think about who is it that God is calling me to go show love to. Because remember, there are people in your communities, there are people in your house, there are people at your schools, and they're hurting. And they're asking God, God, are you there?
and God sends you. Last thing I'm going to tell you guys, and as I do that, worship band can come back up. And if we can have those cards, oh, snap, there are the cards that go on, and the pins on the altar, that would be great. Once again, 1 John 3.16 says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. You know, this reminds me of a story of a guy named Nick. Now, Nick, this is a true story, and you can actually go and look this story up. Because, see, Nick, uh, on the day of his wife's funeral, she died of cancer. He had his nine-year-old son. And on the day of his wife's funeral, he turns towards his son, and he goes, whatever you need from me, I will always be here for you. So every single day, Nick would walk his son to school. He would stop at the gate, watch his son go through the doors of the school, and then Nick would walk two blocks down to his job. And as soon as his job was done, Nick would walk the two blocks back down to his son's school, stop at the door just in time to see his son come out of the doors and so that they can walk home together. They did this every single day and one day just like every other day nick he walked his son to the school he stopped at the gate but before he went inside he goes i'll be here for you when you get out watch them walk through the doors of the school nick he walked the two blocks down to his job and as soon as he walked through the door boom an earthquake hit People started to fly underneath chairs and tables. Nick, he grabbed onto the corridor of the doorway. Pieces of the ceiling began to fall down. But as soon as the earthquake was done, people came out of their hiding places. Are you okay? Are you okay? But not Nick. As soon as the earth stopped moving, Nick, he ran out of the doors of his job. He ran the two blocks down to his son's school. He turned the corner, and all he found was a pile of rubble. He looked out across the rubble, and he just said, But he didn't get any response. But instead of waiting for the police and the ambulance to arrive, Nick, he just jumped into the pile of rubble. And the whole time, he's screaming out, Son, if you're here, please answer me, son. And then finally, Nick got to the spot where he thought his son's classroom would be. And he just began to dig. He's picking up the rocks. He's picking up the glass. And he's throwing it to the side. And the whole time, he's yelling out, Son, please answer me, son. He got to dig so long that his hands were so worn and torn from picking up the rocks and the glass that when the police finally got there, they tried to get him to stop. And they're like, hey, you're going to really hurt yourself. You really need to stop. No, you got to understand, I've got to be the one to find my son. I've got to be the one. And so they gave him gloves so he can continue to dig. And you have to understand, this is a true story. He didn't just dig for one hour. He didn't just dig for two hours. He ended up digging for 33 hours straight. And on the 32nd hour, Nick picked up a rock that revealed a hole in the rubble. He threw that rock to the side. He placed his head in that hole, and he just yelled out, Son, are you here? Son. And then very faintly, he heard, Dad, is that you? Yes, son, it's me. Give me your hand. Let me lift you up. Dad, my friends are down here. Save them first. Save them first. And so Nick, he placed his hand in that hole, and he pulled up one student and another student and another student. On that day, Nick saved 12 students' lives. 
And on the 13th student, he pulled it up, and it was his son. And he goes, Dad, I knew you would come. I told all my friends you would be here, and you are. See, for some of you in this room right now, maybe for you, you don't realize that there are people digging for you. There are people that would dig 33 hours to get to you. Why? Because you're important. Why? Because you matter. For others of you in this room, there are people that need to be dug out, and they're looking for somebody, and you are that student down there with everybody else, and you're saying, don't worry. My Father in heaven is coming to get us. But if you are not there to give them hope, then they're going to die in that hole. In order for us to show the love of God, we got to be ready to dig. We got to be ready to encourage. We got to be ready to do whatever we need to do because there are people and they're drowning in their rubble. God sees them and he sends you. Who are you going to sacrifice for? So this is what I want you guys to do. As you guys can see, um, there are these postcards. I want you to think. I want you to come up here. I want you to grab a pen. And as the worship band plays, I want you to think of one aspect of this year that you are going to focus on, on sacrifice. Are you going to focus on giving up your stuff for other people? What does that look like? Maybe for you, you're going to focus on giving up your time. What does that look like? And maybe for you, you're going to focus on giving up your hate and trying to help other people. What does that look like? So I want you to take this postcard, take a pen, go back to your seat, and ask God, God, what do you want me to focus on for this year? How do you want me to help somebody that needs to know the love of you? And when you get it, God puts that picture of that person. Maybe for some of you, maybe you will hear him talk. I don't know how God speaks to you, but when you get it, I want you to fill out this postcard, write a note to yourself so you can have a reminder in the middle of the year, this is what God told me to do to love other people. We're going to collect all of them, and in the middle of the year, you will get this as a reminder. So don't just merely put something on here. Put something on here that you're going to hold to. Put something on here where that when you get it back and go, yep, I'm doing this. Whatever it is, remember, God has called you to love unconditionally. God has called you to love sacrificially. What is it that you're ready to sacrifice to show his love?